0: Well hello and good morning. That was like the shortest transition I've ever had to make. That was great. (laughs) Hey, good morning. My name is Jason. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm really excited to be able to uh, just come and bring the Word of God to you here this morning. It's actually been a couple months since I've been able to preach. I just wanted to thank those of you uh, that have been praying for Chelsea and I. we got COVID like a month ago. I had a big wreck and it's just, it's been a long summer. So we've appreciated all of your prayers. Um, They've meant the absolute world, but I am so excited to be able to uh, be here this morning and continue our uh, brand new series in the book of Ephesians. So last week we did start Ephesians, we've only um, hit part of it, Pastor Dennis kicked it off, and so today we're actually going to be continuing this and finishing out chapter one of Ephesians. Uh, and so today what I really want everyone to remember, if there's anything that you take away from this morning, it's this phrase, and uh, Chelsea, can we, we, we can throw this phrase up. It is, everything is always about knowing Jesus more. Everything is always about knowing Jesus more. See, in the Christian life, there's all these aspects of following Jesus, of growing uh, closer to Him, of of, uh, deepening our faith, of transforming and becoming into the likeness of Him, and all these are crucial and very important things, but really what we always have to remember at the end of the day, that regardless of where we're growing and what we're doing in our Christian walk, that if Jesus is not the focal point of our life, then all other things Lose their value. Jesus must be the center of everything that we do. Last week, as I said, we started this uh, series in Ephesians, and uh, our series is called The Death of Our Divisions. The Death of Our Divisions. And we've Excuse me, uh, what we can see throughout this letter is that Paul is continually emphasizing that the church is a community of believers who ought to be united under the reign of jesus see paul 's whole entire premise for this book is that because we 're united by faith because we are one in Christ, then we can overcome any obstacle, any division, and we can continuously grow as the people of God. It is because of our faith in Christ that we can be unified and we can continuously point to the goodness and glory of Jesus. And so last week we saw uh, Paul begin this letter and emphasizing the spiritual blessings that we find in Christ. He's just talking about how good it is to follow Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is, is he moves to this very unusual prayer. And when I say unusual, we'll talk about this more this morning, Uh, but when we tend to pray, myself included, we we tend to pray about our needs and, and the things that we want to see done in the world. And the Bible actually calls us to do this. It's a very biblical thing to present your needs to God, to pray for things going on in the world. But what's unusual about Paul's prayer is that he actually doesn't pray for his own needs. Rather... He prays for the growth of the believing church. How many of you have ever seen the 1992 movie, not the remake, but the original, Aladdin? Yes. I love Disney, by the way. (laughs) And in the original 1992, year I was born, movie of Aladdin, what we see is Aladdin is this young boy and uh, he's living on the streets of a metro city. He's in the, uh, the, he's down the street from the royal palace. It's a busy, busy hustling center, and Aladdin, for those of you who have seen it, comes across this magic lamp, and do a little rub on the magic lamp. A genie Appears, And so the entire premise of this movie is us seeing Aladdin and Genie. We got Jasmine. We have everything going on, right? But we see this relationship forming, and we see Aladdin struggling and thinking through what he desires to wish for. The whole movie is built on what am I actually going to ask this Genie for? And I got thinking about it. If I were to stumble across a magic Lantern or lamp, whatever you want to call it, like Aladdin, what would I wish for if I had three wishes? And to be honest, in the selfishness of my heart, it would be all things that I want. They wouldn't be bad things, but like I would wish for it I to not have to worry about finances. I would wish for all my relationships just to be wonderful and fruitful. But right. There's things that we would wish for that aren't bad things. But really, I can guarantee that us just being the people that we are, if we were to get three wishes, we would in turn turn our hearts to say, look, here's what I want for my life. And I bring this up because what we see here, as I mentioned, is is Paul actually doesn't pray for things in his own life. And he actually doesn't even pray for specific issues going on in the Ephesian church. But rather, the Apostle Paul, when he's given this lamp, when, when he comes to God in prayer and he says, God, let me pray for this church, he actually prays for three points of them growing in their faith. He prays that they would thank God for each other, that they would come to know Jesus, and that they would remember what Christ has done on the cross for them. What we need to see here this morning is that when we pray, when we come to God, when we lift up our fellow believers, our first response ought not to be, how can I grow as a believer in the ways that I need to, you know, transform or or gain new skills or or deepen my faith, but rather, Paul says, look, we need to pray that we come to know the knowledge of Christ. So with that, let's actually pause right here, and I would like to stand and read our passage for this morning. So let's please stand and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be at verse 15 this morning. too many tabs here. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 15. The words are on the screen uh, if you need to follow along up there. The Bible says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word (coughs) that it calls us to pray in a different way, to think differently, to view you as the great and majestic God as you are. God, I pray this morning that we would see that absolutely everything is about you, And that the focus of our life should always be driven by a desire to come to know you more. We thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated. Thanks for standing. So as I said this morning, really the the big meta thing that we need to remember is that everything is always about knowing Jesus more. Everything is always about knowing Jesus more. And Paul actually emphasizes this here in this thanksgiving and prayer. And as I said, he notes three things. He says, first, we must thank God for each other, we must desire to grow in our faith, to draw closer to Jesus so that we know him more. And then he also calls us to remember what God has done. In Christ. And this is such a cool breakdown of how he formulates this prayer and how he formulates this passage, uh, because what he's doing, he's saying, look, through your prayer and through your life, you can actually orient yourself towards Jesus. And if we as a church are oriented towards Jesus and remember and recognize what God has done through Christ, then everything will flow from that. Our prayer life, our Bible study life, our devotion to him, our love for one another— See, there's a, there's a, a, a tendency to, for us to kind of hit these things one at a time, like for me to say, okay, I'm going to grow my prayer life, I'm going to grow my scripture reading life, I'm going to better my relationships in the church. But really, Paul's saying, hey, before you tackle these things, we must actually have a clear understanding of what it means to both pray and what it means, uh, what we need to desire most in our life as believers. So look here again, verse 15. I love how he starts this out. He goes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I have not stopped giving thanks. See, see part of growing as a Christian involves recognizing where we're growing in our lives. Part of being united as a church is us lifting up one another, praying for each other, seeing how the gospel is at work in our lives. This, this, what he's using here is the same thing that, that parents do with children, what uh, teachers do with students, what friends do with one another. Parents, when you see your child do something good when they're growing or like maybe you have a, a, a circumstance or a situation, you teach your child, they do something the next week later that's similar, but they approach it differently. You can see how your child has grown in that situation, and you praise them. You say, hey, I see your growth. I see how you have listened, and it is shaping your life. I, w- I was absolutely terrible at math, but I, uh, there was one one professor I had that was um, a big help to me, and she would always, every time I would grasp a concept in math, she would say, hey, you're getting it. You're growing. I can see how this is impacting your studies in a good way. And with Paul, it's crucial that, I know it's only two here, but we need to see that it's so important that Paul has a gratitude for the growth of believers and their unity with each other. See, when we pray, it's easy for us to pray for each other's needs, which is, as I said, so important and necessary for us to do as a body of believers. But really, Paul is, is actually, before he's praying for their needs, he's evidencing a need to be grateful for one another, for us to say, hey, I am so thankful to see how Jesus is at work in your life. I see your love for each other. I see your unity. I see how the power of the gospel is actually impacting and transforming your life. Paul isn't starting where, where the Ephesians have needs, and they do have needs, and they get addressed in the later chapters of this book. We'll hit chapter four, and we, we hit this uh, three chapters of just the practicality of the Christian life, and, and Paul says, hey, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Before he gets there, he recognizes that it's so important to have <coughs> a gracious, a gratitude and a thankfulness for how Jesus is at work in our lives. See, when we're thankful for one another, when we have a gratitude, when we recognize how Jesus is at work in our life, this actually helps us to uh, be held accountable, to continually grow in our love for who Jesus is. It helps us to continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ I I, I oversee our youth ministry, and one of my favorite things in the world, it never gets old, is when our, uh, our students grasp things and deepen their understanding of who Jesus is. Because then with that understanding, you can actually begin to see their lives change. And it's one of the most rewarding things fellow believers can see in each other's lives, and that is to see how Jesus is changing us. And when we're, when we're gracious and we're, and we're thankful for one another, Paul is setting up what his, big, his prayer is, and, and that's the, that believers continue to grow in their knowledge of who Jesus is. And, and when we are thankful for how God is at work in our life, it actually reminds us that Jesus is at work in our life as well. It encourages us to grow in our faith. When I thank God for what he's doing in your life, and you're, you're thanking God for what he's doing in my life, it actually, it's, it's a starting point for where we can continue to grow, because it's exciting to see God at work in our life. It's exciting to see lives changed and transformed. Paul recognizes that, and he's evidencing that in his prayer for the Ephesian church. So this leads to his, his kind of big point of this, and this moves here to verse 17. Look here again with me in verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the richness of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's heart and his prayer above anything else is that the church is continually growing and it's love and knowledge of Christ above anything else. This is where Paul starts. My prayer is that your heart may be enlightened, that you know the hope of which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people. (coughs) Excuse me. I find this desire of Paul and his prayer, it's, it's just fascinating to me. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, I, I referenced this earlier, but it calls us to present our requests to God. But Paul, Paul recognizes that the ultimate desire for the church, his ultimate desire for the church, is, is that we are a light for the sake of Jesus' kingdom in the world. And there are rich benefits to following Jesus and your life will uh, experience transformation and you will see the goodness and the blessing of God in your life as you draw near to Him. But really, Paul, Paul's desire isn't just for our own benefit. Really, it's actually for the benefit of Jesus. He wants us to have a greater knowledge of Him so that we can proclaim Him better to a broken and fallen world. See, when we come to understand the the wisdom and the love and the grace and the mercy, the richness of who our God is, then we begin allowing those things to change our life. We emulate them. We, we act on them. We show them. This is why uh, the, the church is actually called to be a body of people who love because we were loved first. And so as we understand the love of Christ, then we in turn are able to show that love to each other. But I'm not going to be able to love people like Jesus unless I do have a full understanding of how Jesus has loved me. And we can apply this to everything. For me to be gracious, I must understand the grace that God has extended me. For me to be thankful, I must understand how God is glad to have His people. For me to be merciful, all these things that our God embodies, for us to be able to do them, we must have a knowledge and understanding of Him, and a desire to draw near to Him always. Paul is not praying. That you have a comfortable life. He is not praying that your job gets better. He's not praying that, that you would e- either <coughs> experience only blessing or only persecution. Paul Paul is praying that that above all other things, that your the eyes of your heart would be opened. He wants you to know God better. And, and, this is, and this is the heart that we need to have for one another. We're quick fix people. I, I myself, I have a, you can ask Chelsea, I have a horrible habit of like when I hear problems, I'm like, here's how we're going to fix it. And like people, it's, yeah, I need to listen better. <laughs> And see what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, look, before we fix it, before you jump to that conclusion, before we address whatever it is, your, your, your job issue, your, your family issue, your, the life struggles that you're experiencing, your addictions, everything, before we face these things, you need to have a desire to know God better. Because the greatest thing, that a human being can experience is knowing their maker. When you know God, when you know God, and you draw near to Him, then in turn, your life will begin to be transformed by Him. But we must have a desire to draw near to Him and know Him better. And this is what... Paul says is so urgent. He wants them to be enlightened by God so they can see three things. These are real quick. He says, I want you to see the hope of their calling. He wants them to understand what it means to be a Christian. He wants them to understand, as uh, it says in 1 Peter, Jesus, our living hope. He wants them to see what they have been called to do in this world, which is to be a light and a witness for the kingdom of God. He wants them to see the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people. He he wants us to understand who we've been made in Christ, that we are in Christ. We have been given just grace and mercy and the love of God showered in his presence. And finally, he also wants to see his incomparably great power for those who believe. See, it's really, really hard for us to to be devoted to God and to trust him to, and follow him without understanding the great power of God and what he has done in Jesus. For Paul, there, there, are, so many, there are so many needs in life. And, and Paul was no, no stranger to needs. Paul was imprisoned. He was persecuted. He was mocked. He was cast out. The list goes on. Paul, Paul had needs, as we all have needs. But before we reach that need, the greatest need that we must recognize is that we need Jesus. We need him desperately in our lives. And, and Paul, Paul values knowing Jesus so much that there's, there is actually no greater thing for him to pray for others. The greatest thing that we can do is pray that we ourselves and others would come to know Jesus. And my question to you is, is do you live your life like that? Do you live your life in such a way that in every moment of every day, you're desiring to know more of Jesus? Do you value knowing Jesus? Is the greatest thing you pray for, is that others would know Jesus more. These are the things I have to ask of my own prayer life, and we all have to ask in our prayer lives. So finally, Paul, he moves on. He he prays that we would just see and we would know Jesus and that in our knowledge of him that our lives would be transformed by it. And and then what he does is he actually, he he helps us remember why. Why is it so important that Jesus is is the one who my entire life is about? And he tells us here in verse 19, read the back half of 19. He says, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under the feet of Jesus and anointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. says says, why is my prayer that you would come to know Jesus more and more? Well, because everything is all about Jesus. Everything, all rule, all power, authority, creation, everything that you can think of is about Jesus. It would be foolish for Paul to To pray for anything else other than coming to know Jesus more. Because there is nothing that is greater than knowing Jesus. Nothing. And He he calls us to this to, to remember what the Father has done in Christ. That God, through His Son Jesus, has rescued and redeemed those who believe in him. We must remember what the Father has done through Christ. This is why Paul prays the way that he does. See, it's really easy for us to at times struggle with seeing God at work in our lives. I've experienced times in my my life when I was like, God, are you even here? Are you listening? But, (coughs) excuse me, but Paul is is leading us to remember that that God is active, he is alive, and that he is continuously at work. See, sometimes uh, we we struggle. We struggle with, uh, I think, connecting, or feeling like we're struggling with connecting with God. Uh, Almost like, even in our prayer, Right, that there's, like, imagine just, like, a a barrier in front of us, and we're just, like, yelling over the wall. We're passing notes. We're like, God, here's what I need. Help. Or if I'm like outside and I'm trying to have a conversation with you, we might be able to hear each other, but it's going to be really, really difficult. And sometimes connecting to God can feel like that. But what Paul is reminding us is that that is not the actual reality, that God is here and that He is present at all times. And if we draw near to Him, we will experience the knowledge of Him, we will be transformed by Him, and in turn, we will actually begin to transform as a body of believers, Paul reminds us what God has done in Christ because, as I said, everything is about Jesus. And if we understand who Jesus is, then our faith will become robust and our lives will look more and more like him. And we will actually begin to be able to carry out the Christian life as it's been designed for us. See, before Paul, as I said, hits the practicality of 4, 5, and 6, he talks about new households, how the household is supposed to be changed and different, and the family unit's supposed to, to look differently than the, uh, than the culture that the Ephesians were operating within, but he can't actually get there until people are, are devoted to Jesus and are able to carry out the values that they see in Christ. Able able to carry out the ways of God. If you don't understand that, we cannot actually begin to live differently. Paul prays that the church would come to know God better because when we grow in the knowledge of God, we can live a better Christian life and we are motivated to take part in kingdom work. See, the Christian life is not about having my needs met. That would be a very, very depressing and long drawn out life. Because I can always selfishly think of needs or things that I might think are needs. But the Christian life is all about glorifying Christ through our lives as we are shaped, transformed and motivated to do his bidding. So when I present my request to God, or, or when I draw near to him, when I come to know who he is more, then my life is shaped, transformed. See, if, if we treat God like just someone who, who only fixes what I think are needs in my life, then he just becomes uh, almost like this, this holy Santa Claus But if, if my desire is to draw near to Jesus, then regardless of what I'm facing in my life, both those joyful times and those times of suffering, if my desire is to know him more, then my motivation, not it, it's not about serving my own needs, but rather it's now about glorifying Jesus in my life. And this is why Paul reminds us of what God has done. Because Jesus was victorious. He conquered sin and death. And in him there is life. And if we can understand this and draw near to that, then we as a people will be influenced and changed and driven to seek out his will and his way in our life. Our focus passage for, for this series, as uh, Pastor Dennis mentioned last week, it's Ephesians 2, and it begins at verse 14, and you even hear this, "'For he himself, Jesus, is our peace.'" who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And y'all, if you draw near to Jesus and seek out his way and allow his knowledge to become your knowledge and allow his ways your ways and be influenced by him, then we can have peace. We can come together we can be a unified body we can actually uphold and and live up to the thing that paul was grateful for in the beginning of of this passage that they have love and unity for one another but the church actually can't love one another and be unified and, and be this body of light for the sake of the gospel unless we have a clear understanding of who jesus is and recognize that everything in our life at the end of the day is all about him and knowing him and serving him This is such a simple message, but it's the crucial point of the Christian life. That if your life is not completely centered on Jesus, then we are missing the point of what it means to be a believer. And if you've spent any time in church, you have most likely heard that phrase before. But really, it is the reality of who we are as God's people that we must be his People. I love studying ancient Israel. As much as they rebelled against God, whined, or angry, what is amazing is that when the world looked upon Israel, they knew that they were the people of God. And that's what Paul's prayer is. When he looks upon the Ephesian church, when he looks upon your life, when we look upon each other's lives, do you look like the people of God? Do you look like those who are devoted to knowing Jesus more? Everything is all about Jesus. And when we recognize and we understand this, then everything in your life will become all about Jesus. I promise it it will. So how do we simply do this? Excuse me. Paul does this through prayer. And a praying church is a living church. But praying is really difficult because it's something that's easily forgotten. In the busyness of our lives, it could be difficult to stop. But, but Paul is evidencing this need for us to have a new kind of prayer. A new kind of way to draw near to one another. Paul calls us to pray for each other in such a way that we would always be growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. Paul wants us to understand the richness of God. He wants us to understand and remember what God has done in Christ. He, he wants us to see, the, the, as he mentioned in the first part of this letter, the spiritual blessing of following Jesus. He wants us to experience transformation and to love one another and to be unified together. And he does this through praying for them. So first off, simply, we must be in prayer for one another. We have to be. I love in Acts 2, we've been talking about this off and on through our classes and some sermons, but in Acts 2, we, uh, we get this breakdown of what the church looks like. And a signif- there's four pillars that mark a church, and a significant one is that they, uh, the early church prayed together daily. Are we praying for one another in such a way that not only are we lifting up each other's needs before God, but are we praying? that each of us would come to know and love Jesus more? When was the last time you prayed that that your friends, that your spouse, that your child, that somebody here that you are acquaintance with in the church would come to know Jesus more? We must be a church in prayer for each other. And if we do not, if we don't do this, our body, this body will become dry. We have been been gifted by God direct access to the Father. When we pray, we believe that we are talking to a real person who hears us and knows us and sees us. We must be in prayer for one another. Secondly, we must consistently remember what Jesus has done for us. This is our motivator No other thing is going to motivate you to grow in your faith outside of remembering and seeing what God has done. We've been redeemed. If your faith is in Jesus, you have experienced the goodness, the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. You have been reunited to the presence of the Father. The greatest thing a human can experience, and that is being united in faith with our Maker. So if you've experienced this, remember this. This is as simple as just talking about it, seeing it. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called the Shema. And the Shema is a daily prayer that the Israelites would recite. And it was all, it's all about complete and utter devotion to God and allowing him to be at work in their lives. And there's this amazing thing after the Shema where it says, write it everywhere. Talk about it. Sing about it. I know if you walk in our house, like every other corner has some like verse or it says something about Jesus or like it's on the pillows, it's on the walls, it's everywhere. But the point is, maybe not the pillows. Do we have any, do we have any pillows? Whoa, she says, yeah. So we have pillows, y'all. There's pillows. Okay. (laughs) The point is we must surround ourselves with remembering what God has done through Christ. Talk about it with each other as you pray for one another to come to know Jesus more. Thirdly, (coughs) if we're called to be a church that prays, it would seem necessary that we have time set up to pray. (laughs) And so I want to challenge you on Thursday evenings at 5 o'clock, come here. The doors are open. Come and pray. Make it a priority. Bring your kids. Come after work. Grab food and come on over. Because a church that prays together will continually grow in the love and knowledge of God. We as a church, we we have a conviction. We have many convictions as a church. (laughs) And, And really something that we must be convinced of and convicted of is that we must be a body of believers who prays to know Jesus more above anything else. I, I, can, I can stand up here and talk all day. Quite literally. I talk too much sometimes. <laughs> but really, no amount of me speaking is going to change our hearts and our minds unless we are convinced and convicted that we must know Jesus more. It's not gonna happen. You in your heart and in your life must recognize and hold a desire to be more devoted to Jesus You must recognize the goodness of following him. Remember what God has done through Christ. Be encouraged by seeing your fellow believers grow in him. And when we allow these things to shape our life, then we will experience this motivation to know him more and to allow him to transform us. Because really the hope of my life is seeing how God is at work in this world. But we must be convinced of this. And so that's why I call us into this simple practice of daily prayer and conversation and time with one another. Because I promise you, if we become a church that regularly exposes itself to the intimacy of prayer with one another, we will vastly see the blessings and the richness and the power of God at work. I promise he is alive and active. He's not over a wall. We must be a church that draws near to him. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and we'll close in a time of worship. God, we thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you that even right now we know that you hear us. God, that you are God who is Always at work in the world. God, that you never let us go. Your will is always being accomplished. And God, that you have victoriously redeemed us through Jesus. God, I pray that we would become a church who is just in love with talking to you. God, we love your word. And I pray that as we read your word and we see these written things that reveal who you are, God, that we would seek to know you even more by speaking with you and listening for you. God, you are not a God who is absent. You have not left us dry. God, you have not forgotten us. And I pray that we would be a church that would remember that you, what you have done, God, that we would seek to know you more above anything else, that we would set aside what, the needs of our life, and God, that we would just seek to know you more. God, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this body of, uh, of believers, God, that we can be with each other each week to encourage one another, to build each other up, and to pray that we would come to love and know you more. God, help us to be a church that is not blind to your will, that is not blind to your ways. God, help us to be a church that seeks to be a brighter light for the sake of your good news and your kingdom every day here in this city. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks all.